to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Jeff Love. Jeff is a partner with the firm Gibbs Gidden, and his practice encompasses all facets of real estate transactions, including drafting and negotiating purchase, sale, syndication, and financing transactions in connection with commercial, industrial, and residential assets. So Jeff, welcome to the show, and how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jeff. So can you share a little bit more about your background, Jeff, and how you got started with law and real estate? Sure. I was always interested in real estate. If you go way back, apparently, yes, my mom and dad, I was interested in building blocks and was always building things. I don't know if that's when it started, but sometime in college, I really wanted to go to law school. I thought it'd be a good idea to learn about business and contracts. And during college, I actually worked for a development company, just learning about real estate and that kind of really sealed the deal for me that I wanted to go to law school and learn about real estate transactions. So I went with the intention of maybe one day becoming a real estate developer, but having the law background. And after graduating, I worked for another developer, but was really kind of the mindset of buying and holding, not selling some of the assets. And they had about 18 million square feet of industrial and retail properties throughout the country. And I loved it. I loved helping, you know, on the legal side of it with buying and selling with leasing. And I eventually left to join my firm really only because I wanted to work with different types of clients, investors just starting out to established companies, working on different types of assets from industrial to apartment buildings and just getting more of a variety. And I've been at my firm ever since helping all different types of clients with really anything to do with real estate transactions. Got it. So I guess in your perspective, what's your favorite aspect of this area? I just like the variety in the sense that it, it touches everything, whether you're a manufacturer or a law firm, you're in some type of real estate, hospitality, it really touches everything. So it's interesting, the different types of deals that you can do and what different types of investors you make. Well, I invest in real estate, but it's such a broad category and hospitality is completely different than buying an apartment building. So I've always just found that interested in doing, and I love helping clients that you know, different stages of really the life cycle of their investment or business and helping them avoid problems and really just getting to be part of that deal, even if it's behind the scenes. So the clients who come to you, are they primarily on the active side of things or are they just primarily investors themselves or is it kind of a conglomerate of both? It's really a combination of all types of companies, entrepreneurs, investors, and the first time investor that's going to buy a small apartment building. And they may have concerns of what does the title look like? What am I supposed to look at in these leases? All the way up through a huge developer that's that's building a you know, hundred unit apartment complex. 
And then between maybe you have a real estate syndicator that is trying to complete a deal and they're raising money. So while it's not necessarily real estate, we'll help them with the corporate law aspects, the security law aspects. So that's kind of the, the very nature. It's really clients at all different stages from, like I said, from your first time investor up until your seasoned Fortune 50 company. And that's what makes every day different and every day interesting. So the first time investors, are they primarily coming to help with the purchase and sale of the actual property itself or setting up their legal entities? Again, it's both. So maybe on my desk today, I might have an investor that is buying a Walgreens or a retail building that houses the Walgreens as a tenant. And they may be concerned about looking at the lease and they may be looking at the title issues. At the same time, they may want to create an LLC to hold title to protect risk and make sure that their exposure is limited where possible. And then we even have investors that may be investing with someone else. You know, I'm investing and they have a small amount of money and I want to get into real estate. So I'm going to invest with another sponsor or syndicator for their deal. And well, we not may be looking at everything with the underlying real estate. We may be looking at their corporate documents, their operating agreement or partnership agreement to make sure the terms that have been promised to that investor are in the documents that they're being asked to sign. Got it. So for those investors who are investing with other people as well, do they typically, I guess, in your experience, is it better to invest as a legal entity creating up an LLC or something like that, or investing in your own name? That's a good question. And part of it's driven by cost. If you had a very large investment, or there was something, an environmental issue with the property, if there was a risk of being sued, you may want to create an entity to kind of cap that risk. But if you're just a limited partner in a normal apartment acquisition, it may be an unnecessary cost for you to create that additional entity. What you do want to look for is just make sure that you are understanding and reading the documents that have been presented to you as an investor, because a PPM or even kind of a pitch deck doesn't always match the agreements that you're being asked to sign. So you don't want to take anyone's word for it. You want to make sure that Either you're reading everything or that you have a trusted advisor, whether it's attorney, legal issues, an accountant for tax issues, really looking at those documents for you. So then from the creating a legal entity standpoint and LLC, when you're saying that it depending on the situation and varies from investor to investor and what they're looking to protect, would you create a separate entity if you're an active side versus a just a passive investor? Or would you combine them and under one entity and do investing both as an active and as a uh, passive investor under one entity? Whenever I would hold the real estate directly, whether that's just me personally or with a partner, then I'd usually create an entity. Now, there are sometimes there are reasons why you may not want to. If it's, you know, say a two unit apartment building, it may affect your financing or a lender may not want or be willing to lend to you as an entity. So there are certainly exceptions, but whenever you're holding real estate, one of the major benefits to an LLC, a limited partnership, really other any kind of entity that have a limited liability is your ability to limit risk and cap exposure. So for example, if I had a tenant and they had a party and someone slipped and fell and someone gets hurt, Instead of suing me personally, they're suing my LLC. And while my interest in that property is at risk, my retirement accounts, my home, my work salary, that's not all at risk. So I'm able to keep that asset separate from everything else that I have. 
Got it. And so earlier when we were talking, you mentioned a little bit about looking at the PPM and the subscription agreement and going through and making sure that you're understanding all the legal terms. And so, you know, what are some of the top areas that, you know, prior to visiting an attorney like yourself and going through the document with them as an investor, what are some of the top things that we can be looking for to make sure that we're understanding? And, you know, there are like three to five things that are crucial for us to understand. You definitely want to understand, and it's weird we're saying it, but understand the sponsor. You want to know who you're investing with. Have they done this before? Is it their first time? Have their prior projects been successful? Because you're going to become a passive investor. So you're relying on them to make the returns and, and really get a return on your money. So you want to know them well and know their background and make sure that you're comfortable with them running the project. Other big issues are, one is you're investing to make money. So what does my return look like? You know, is it a preferred return? Is there a type of a split? Is it an internal rate of return? Exactly how am I being compensated and when? And does that match what I was promised in terms of investing in this deal? Very closely related is fees. If I'm investing with someone, it's right that they're compensated for managing this deal. What do the fees look like? Are is there, you know, is there an acquisition fee, a management fee, a construction fee? Is there some type of equity split? Just how many fees are there? Were they disclosed to me? You know, when are they paid? And including those fees, is the deal still make financial sense? Because you know, every deal that we work with has, whether we're on the investor side or the sponsor side, we'll have fees. But we want to make sure that they're disclosed, understood, so that everyone's on the same page going forward. Those are probably kind of top three financials things to look for. The one other one that's important is what's my ability to to transfer my interest. Things change. Kids might be going to college. You might be moving. You might need exit before the kind of life cycle of this project's over. What's my ability to do that? Do I have a right to transfer? Do I need certain permissions to do so? So I know that if I need this money, what's my ability to get it back, even if it's before the project officially ends? We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Got it. And how about in terms of, as we we're talking about the transfer of your ownership within or the stakes that you have within an investment, how about in terms of in the case that something has happened to you, how does it get transferred over to like your spouse or your kids? How does that typically handled? So it's a related concept. It usually will depend on your estate plan, which is very important area, not necessarily real estate related, but anyone that's investing just to make sure that you're covered and that if something happens to you, that your spouse or children, everyone, you know where the funds go. Because in an operating agreement or partnership agreement, you could be investing in your own name. Now, there's provisions usually if state plan says it all goes to a spouse, they would inherit your ownership interest in that entity. Now, if 
you also want to look in the operating, there may be restrictions on your ability to transfer. And if there are, you want to make sure that there's exceptions for transferring for state planning purposes to a spouse, children, because maybe, especially if this is a long-term investment or an investment, maybe in an opportunity zone, it could be 10 years, I may create a, a living trust at some point in time. And I want to move it to from my name to my trust or even to maybe a holding company. Or maybe I create my own LLC and I want the right to do that. Got it. And so also, if you are investing as a passive investor as well, and you're reading through these documents, what are some of the red flags or the things that kind of stand out that you know maybe you should look into a little bit more? One of them we touched on a little bit ago is just the, the fees, because that's a cost that's coming off the top of any returns and making sure you made any pro formas or any projections that have been provided that you're looking in, into those fees. Not necessarily a red flag, but what's the exit for this project? You know, are, is there a 10-year hold period, a five-year hold period? Are we going to sell the property? Do you understand what's your ability to exit? And probably the biggest red flag, and it may not necessarily just be in the operating agreement, but looking at the documents as a whole, is how busy is my sponsor? Is this their only project? Do they have 20 projects? Is this a kind of a side business? Because I've had too many clients on both sides, sponsor and investor, where not enough time was devoted to the project. And especially for value-add deals, construction costs have been run up. There wasn't proper oversight. And part of that is attributable to time. Someone just may not have enough time to really devote to the project. And to me, that's a red flag because that's an easy way where things slip through the cracks. Leases may not be renewed. Construction costs may be going up. Distributions may not be going out on time. Tax returns, there's deadlines. So you really want someone that's on top of all this and one of the ways to make sure of that is the sponsor, whoever's running the project, has the proper time to vote this or has engaged the help or needed, maybe a proper management company, so that you know that everything is going to get done on time and how it should be. Got it. And so what is a proper time frame, I guess, to start your due diligence on something like this as you're reviewing? I would say you need you know, a good kind of, it depends on the deal and how complex it is, but at least two weeks, especially if you're going to get help, or maybe you review it yourself and you're going to ask your advisor the questions that you have after that, and you need to leave them time to be able to assist you. And it's tough because as the real estate, buying the real estate, there's going to be a deadline with that with the seller and they have their own due diligence period. So I would say as soon as the documents are presented to you in terms of an investment, you want to start taking a look at them and be mindful of the deadline that kind of the sponsor has presented to you because they have their own deadlines. They may have to waive contingencies in their own due diligence period. And they're looking for firm commitment from investors before they do that. So with investment documents, it's say really as soon as you get them. And the same really holds true with real estate acquisitions. Especially now, things are still better than last year, but they're still slow. So you want to make sure that you have enough time. And when you're buying real estate, where if you're raising money or you need to get a loan, that you're able to do that and not get in that time crunch because a third party, whether it's your investor or your bank, they're taking too long. And then you're running up against your own due diligence period. Got it. And so this is a lot of the due diligence that we're doing out front, making sure you're getting into good deals and you're doing your due diligence and evaluating different opportunities. How about after you've committed to an opportunity, the deal has now closed, maybe something isn't going the way that you are expecting down the road. What typically happens in that kind of scenario? 
It happens a lot. You know, it, it depends on kind of what side of the transaction you're on, but doing all your due diligence, it, it's hard to cross every T and dot every I, so to speak, in due diligence. So you may find something out about a lease that you didn't know. Your construction costs may have, have risen. The best thing that we advise clients is just whatever side you're on is making sure that budgeted for adequate reserves, that you've built in contingencies, especially if you're looking at maybe like a value add deal where you're buying a apartment to fix up, you're buying a single family home and your business is kind of a fix and flip, just budgeting for those delays and be conservative in your underwriting. Because I can tell you how many times we've had upset investors because they've been promised the stars and that's not what they're delivered. So if you kind of over under promise and over deliver, you will get such a better response from your investors and they'll want to invest in all your other future deals rather than if it's the reverse. You never want to under deliver because then you get someone that's upset. And even if contractual obligations, they were, you know, just projections, whenever you put a number in front of someone, the most money they're going to get, that's what they're going to keep in their mind. So you tell them you're going to get a seven to 10% preferred return. The 7% goes out the window and all they're going to remember is 10%. So just keep it in mind when you're speaking with investors or even your own underwriting, just to make sure that you're being kind of conservative now more than ever and and building in these monetary reserves, time reserves, so that when that issue does pop up and they always do, safe you are and how much due diligence you do, that you're able to handle it. And it's a a small issue rather than, than a deal killer. Got it. So Jeff, I guess for you, what is your next focus? For me personally, I think is continuing to help clients just building on the practice that I have. I love helping clients, you know, buy and sell more than anything is kind of learn from their past mistakes. And that happens. I don't care if you've done a hundred deals, you still learn from something that you did on a past deal. And I have a client now that they did everything they should, but they could have probably disclosed better in terms of they were raising money from investors in terms of about when fees were paid. They've learned from that. Going forward, they're going to have a separate exhibit to their documents really being clear because communication is so key. And I love being able to deal with clients like that. So I think bringing more in and personal side, after seeing you know the success of all, all these clients and investors, I've started to do it myself as well. So I think being able to invest more and just continue to build a personal real estate portfolio, which is, it's a great type of alternative investment to invest in. And so how has real estate investing impacted your life? It has really, you know, it's not just work. It's how I invest as well now too. You know, it's, uh, you know, I tend to invest in multifamily because I, I like the asset. I like that people always need a place to live and being located in Southern California, housing is in a crunch, there's not enough, and it's becoming more and more expensive, which makes multifamily a great asset. It's really helped me personally just diversify and realize that there are investments beyond stocks and bonds and companies, and that it's a very good way to build long-term wealth, not just for yourself, but for children in the future. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, that that's a good question. There are many. I'd say the best thing that I've learned on both sides is you need a team in place because you can't know it all. Um, you know, even as an attorney, you know, I don't always know what the right insurance is to get from a property, or I don't know the you know the dollar figures. So having the right insurance broker, 
the right real estate broker, the right accountant that can make sure you're taking advantage of all the proper tax deductions, you know, the right attorney. So that when you're doing these investments, the hardest thing to admit and know is things that you don't know about. And the way that I've learned that you solve for that is you get the team in place that does know that. So you don't have to rely on yourself for everything. You focus on what you're good at and engage those professionals that are good at what they do so that you have every base covered and that you're setting yourself up for success. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing all of that and, you know, walking us through some of the different things that we can be looking for as we're evaluating, you know, different investment opportunities. It's my pleasure. So Jeff, if our listeners want to find out more about you, where's the best place that they can go? My website, her website has a lot of information and it's www.gibbsgiddens.com. And I also have a LinkedIn page on social media that you can check out as well. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Jeff. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.